I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Sure the hell is. How are you? I'm good. You look lovely. Oh, thank you. So do you. Oh, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. You act surprised at that. That you said... I shouldn't because you say it often. Yes, I do. Uh, but you don't have hair today. Nope. <laughs> hair today, gone tomorrow. Hair today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> I know that's right. Um, yeah, we took off your toupee. On Friday. But I think you look better. I know in general we shouldn't, you know, who wants to hear what people think about how you look. Oh, I've received all kinds of a vast array of opinions. But I think if anyone's opinion matters, it's mine. So um, It's true. But I think it's interesting um, being more comfortable in my skin. I, I, you know, I obviously I appreciate compliments, but realizing it has to be what I think about me. So. Yep. Yeah. And that's As a beauty professional, I feel like people ask me all the time about what would look good. And I think it's whatever you're comfortable with. Like, <laughs> what feels good to you? You you know, work with what you have is the number one rule. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you have curly hair, stop trying to make it straight. And if you have fine, thin hair, stop trying to tease it to hell and high water. And if you're going bald, buzz the shit off. And, you know, like, you have a very nice face. And your head doesn't have, you know, lumps and bumps and shit. So, you know, you're fortunate. But even if you don't, I have, I actually have a scar on the back of my head that, um... The only one that matters to is you. Right. You know? <laughs> well, I interrupted you, so finish what you were saying. Oh, it just, you know, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, those things don't matter. And not to say that I wouldn't try that hair, hair experiment again, because uh, right. we, we have plans to do that down the road. But I think it was a combination of, I'm leaving for Cannes, I'll be there two weeks, uh, you know, there won't be a ton of privacy, lots of running around, um, the upkeep is still new to me and you know it wasn't it wasn't uncomfortable but i was constantly aware that there was a presence on my head (laughs) yeah yeah no i was going to share the story of when i was 17 working at wells fargo bank in las vegas and i noticed that i had developed like a bump on the back of my head and it just got bigger and bigger um and it got pretty big i mean like it was pretty big (laughs) like the size of like a like a gumball and i go to the doctor and they refer me to a dermatologist and the dermatologist is like oh you have a cyst that needs to be removed so i said okay so i go and of course you know i'm this like at this point i was 18 like i just turned 18 and i think you know being an 18-year-old, probably because I'm a little brown kid, no parent there to assist me. The, per- the, the This doctor didn't give a shit about how I felt about anything, so he just did it. He didn't explain scars or anything like that. He just did it. So it left me with a scar, and I wear my hair very short because even when I have hair, it's still faded. So, you know, usually I get like a ball fade. So this scar that's on the back of my head, like in the occipital region of my head... Is always bald. So there's this scar. And then I was very self-conscious about it. People would comment on it. So I went to a plastic surgeon like a year later and asked, like, can you make this scar smaller? 
And he said, yeah, we can revise it. I just have to cut out. Because the, the original doctor, the, the scar was pretty big. And then the cosmetic surgeon said, oh, this wasn't done very well. You know, we could definitely make it more of like an incision rather than like a big scar. So I go in. This doctor cuts out like a piece of scar tissue and like a certain like lunar shape, whatever he explained to then sew it back. And he said it will heal and look like a very thin line. And there are hair follicles close together, so you won't notice it. So I have these stitches and he's like, be very careful with them. And like two days later, I get rear-ended, like in a car accident. And so my head goes forward and all the stitches rip out. Not all. It wasn't that dramatic. Like in a nightmare before Christmas. Something like that. <laughs> like, yes, they it, it, like it affects it. So I go back to the doctor and he's like, you know, we don't want to touch it. He put like some sort of like liquid skin and it didn't heal the best. The scar is probably bigger than it was before. But for years and years and years, I was so self-conscious to the point where I still don't like people walking behind me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, it... It, uh, this is such a random story that has nothing to do with anything except that I think like it's it's an it's an active sort of mindset to think like I have to be okay in my skin like I have no choice and I think some people just don't some people seem crippled by their aesthetic mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate because I have been that person many times and I still struggle with that but it's unfortunate how many things some people miss out on because you know, I think, like, I never want to take my shirt off in public. So, like, going to the beach, going swimming, going... We went to a pool party yesterday that mm -hmm. was, like, a birthday party at a person's home who had a pool. And most of the attendees were in the pool, mm -hmm. like, shirtless. And I just thought, I'll, you know, I had no problem attending, but there was no way on God's green earth I was going to get into a bathing suit and... We also didn't do that because, or we, oh. we also didn't attend, uh, or we, we didn't get in the pool because we had plans afterwards that we'll talk about. Yeah. No, I, I, not to go on and on about the hair thing, but I think what I realized in that two-week period, well, you know, I've had to wear a hat for... To prepare for the unit, you wore a hat for like two months. Yeah, so... To grow your hair out. It, it felt like a longer process than maybe it was, but, and I think last time I spoke about having what I refer to as like Cinderella syndrome. And I think my confidence, I was expecting to feel, I don't know how I was expecting to feel like buddy love and nutty professor. <laughs> oh, not buddy love. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not crazy, but I wasn't I, like, how am I going to feel out moving about in the world like this? And you know what? It really made me feel like a creature where people see me you know, this, uh, you know, decently, a decent looking human being with hair on their head. And what I feel like inside knowing how it feels is like uh, this vampiric creature. <laughs> and I think that it was causing me to not like meet people, look people in the eye. And because I think that I knew that what I was presenting wasn't real is how I was getting wrapped up in my own head because I feel it's not that like ball is my best look. I think this is, I like that. This is it. Like, this is how I look. 
<laughs> like the, the the like the nakedness of that to me is appealing as, as in nobody can nobody can say nothing to me now. Well, the other thing is you have no choice, right? I mean, right. you you have a choice. You could get hair transplants. We could send your ass to Mexico, and we have a friend who did it, and it looks great, and it wasn't we could afford it. Or you can wear a toupee or a wig. There are options, but I think also like just being comfortable with myself yourself like you just like this is how i look and that's it like i think that's really the key is being comfortable with what you're working with but this is a good segue into something else i was going to talk about and it's not to get personal personal but i was just thinking about this yesterday because we had had a really nice conversation about like sexiness Mm -hmm. so then i was going to say talking about like what's sexy but not really about us, but more like, because we get lots of messages on various platforms Mm -hmm. where people are overtly sexual. Mm -hmm. And I think there are many ways to look at it. So I'm just rambling now, but you know, it's flattering when people say nice things about you, but it's also exhausting constantly being confronted constantly. Like I'm not a sex symbol, but You know, just Mm -hmm. being a gay person living in a big city and being on social media and being on several platforms and with varying degrees, like people will confront me and I'm sure you as well with sort of their feelings about how I look. Oh, yeah. And what they want to do with my body Mm -hmm. and (laughs) only caring about me um, under the circumstance of like having access to my body and... So maybe talk about that a little bit, but I don't want to get too personal because, you know, maybe you don't want to and I don't know that I want to. But what I was going to talk about is like, or what I had top of mind was that I think a lot of, and we're just talking about gay men because that's who I have the most experience with. I think a lot of gay men don't know what it is to be sexy. I agree with that. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, and this connects to what you were saying, is I think a lot of people aren't confident in who they are as a person and what they bring to the table Mm -hmm. so then they just do this thing where it's like i'm going to be overtly sexual in every setting in every setting under every circumstance whenever i get a chance i'm going to market what i think i have to offer sexually when i would argue that most people i meet the most appealing thing about them has nothing to do with their bodies Mm -hmm. or what they do with them Right? It's your personality, your kindness, your intellect, your humor, your heart. So, I don't know. I don't know what... Well, we're... we're That's just something we had talked about, so... I think we're taught from a young age that our self-worth is in who we attract, how much attraction we receive. Uh, That's what makes us worthwhile. And then paired with, you know, in a world of social media where we see... We assume that people reap the benefits of behaving that way and really what it does is rob us of the enigmas that we all are right because because we are there are things about us that you can't possibly paste online and but you're you are painting a portrait of yourself that is only one thing and people judge you on that and we we all have to do it because we all have to engage in this environment somehow in this world but you know your your avatar should be there, there's an, a more authentic way to present an avatar of yourself too. Well, that's interesting because I was thinking, and I said to you yesterday that I think meeting new people, the excitement for me of meeting new people is getting to know people, even if it's just for a dinner date or, 
you know, like a social thing. It's just really interesting getting to know people's personalities and their interests. And that excites me. Yes, it's flattering to have someone say, you know, to to in some way say they're attracted to me. And it's also exciting to meet someone who I may find attractive and they seem to like like me. That is exciting. But I think what's more appealing is just getting to know people without any sort of thought about what I'm going to do with your body. And I think people would do better for themselves if, if they maybe sort of honored their bodies more. And I'm not making judgments about how people use their bodies. I just think that the way people present themselves sexually and physically is like... So an example would be like, people just send nude photos of themselves. Oh, yeah. Like mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, of course. Like, mm-hmm. just like, and then the expectation is like, well, you're going to send me a picture of your penis mm-hmm. or your naked body or whatever. And it's like, I'm not uncomfortable with my body. Like, I have photos of myself that are of, would be available if I wanted them to be. So it's not about that. It's just like, I don't know that, I don't think that my body is the best thing about me. I don't think me, like, my sexual abilities are the best, most impressive thing about me. And what right do you have to see my naked body? But the way people express that desire, it just feels very aggressive and... Well, it's, it's we, again, we put ourselves on a platform where you can order someone like a menu, like a, an item on a menu. Yeah, like you're ordering like Uber Eats. Yeah, like, oh, no, that's not a mat. Oh, I don't want pepperoni today. But the presumption is that I'm even interested in you. Right. Well, that too. Yes, if there's... Like, I don't know unsolicited. you. Unsolicited. I don't know you. And depending on the platform, maybe you know me a little bit. Maybe you've heard me talk a bunch or mm-hmm. a little. Or maybe you see photos of me. But it's like, I don't know you. In some cases, you don't even have like a photo. I don't know what you look like, who you are, anything about you. And then it's like a barrage of messages that are very invasive. And I think whether it's online or in person, people have this attitude that they have some sort of right to a person's like physical being Mm -hmm. with no interest in who they are intellectually, emotionally. And, you know, it sounds like I'm looking for something more than I am because I'm happily, well, I'm married. No, I'm happily married. Mm-hmm. So I'm not looking for anything like that. But I still think making connections with people. Well, we're social beings. Right. You know, you know it's it's interesting because being gay and, and attempting to socialize with other gay men, it seems like people only want to be friendly with people who they find attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a, it's an issue, uh, I'd say that has a lot of ripple effects. Uh, but even even the hair thing works into that too, is because I had posted pictures of me with the hair, and you know the comments. The comments are like people that I've never met, or people you know people that are suddenly interested because there's a, a patch of fur on my head, or people that I've chatted with for a long time that I've never actually met that that would. This happened a couple times that had the gall to be like, oh, I'd never meet you with hair. Like, I, the the best thing about you was being bald. This is like, okay, that's not the best thing about me. But, uh... <laughs> well, that is, that's an entire... I mean, we could spend hours talking about um, objectifying and fetishizing and preferences, especially within the gay community. So I'm not even going to go down that road. But yeah. It, it's... Again, I think when you get to... At a certain point in my life, those kind of that kind of feedback would have 
probably had a, a warping effect. And now it's just like, you know, the shit ain't comfortable. Um, I, I like, <laughs> I like the simplicity of it. I do think I look good bald and, uh, yeah. And I'm not trying to educate people on how to present yourselves in a sexy way to me because I'm not looking for a man. But I think as someone who has had a lot of luck romantically and has never had an issue finding a man, my advice would be to just be yourself and really do some inventory to determine what is the most exciting thing about you. Because, you know, I was got to be a little shady, but most of y'all out here are not like you're selling your bodies, but your bodies aren't that impressive. The dick is average. The ass is flat. The body is like, you know, <laughs> I mean, you're no Chris Hemsworth. Like people are selling something that is like not impressive. Most people physically are very average, especially men. Which I don't like that term. Normal is a better <laughs> term than what? average. I hate the term average. Really? See, yeah. I think normal is weird because... Well, I, actually, I don't like normal either, but it, it seems like average seems like, oh... To me, average is like most... Okay, uh, if you don't like the word, I'll try to not use it. No, no, I'm just saying... But like, to me, think... what average means is like most people fit into the same category. Most I've, I've seen thousands and handled thousands of penises. Like, they're not... Most men's penises are about the same, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You, you have some outliers that are like super impressive if you're interested in size or girth. And then if you're sort of amazed at how small someone's penis can be, there are outliers. But for the most part, yeah, yeah, yeah. most men are in that range. like six to six and a half range erect, period. Like it, 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 most men are like that. So that's what I mean by average. And most men have an average body. Like, you know, they're not... A fitness model. And most men don't have this perfect bubble butt. Like, most men have an average body. So it's... And I would put myself in that same category. Well, not every part of it. But, um, you know, it's like... Taking... Being realistic. I feel like I've always been very realistic about what I look like. What I look like. And so I've always been very appreciative of people who I found to be impressive outside of their physicality. Who found me appealing so like when i first met you i didn't know i was my impression of you was very different than how you actually are mm-hmm. like i really discounted who you were as a person i was just attracted to you mm-hmm. but then when i met but then when i got to know you and realized how smart and funny you are then i felt like that is really what was impressive that someone who's smart and funny liked being around me so it's not that I'm like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying be self-deprecating, but I'm like, think, mm-hmm. just think for one fucking second. Well, like you're not, you're not a fitness model. You're not the most beautiful person in the world. None of us are. So it's like what, but there are things about us that are very special and maybe you should lead with that. Well, because it's like the, the thing that's fun about interacting with someone's body are the feelings you have about that person. And I'm not, it doesn't, I'm not saying love has to, or counter in that specifically, but the the acknowledgement of this other being that you're with and how you're making each other feel is usually for sure is and, usually a little more. And uh, I'm not saying that there aren't scenarios where just using someone's body or a specific body part for but, sure. But but I think those are scenarios. So you know, it's like you go to an orgy. It's like well, everyone's there to have sex. So clearly, people are gravitating towards bodies that are drawn to them. We're not getting to know anyone. In those scenarios, there's a certain level of consent because everyone's there with the same intention in mind. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about day-to-day life, whether you're on the apps, you're in a bar, restaurant, work, grocery store, people approach you. It's like, 
the intention I'm assuming is to connect with people in a platonic or romantic way. So if you're, you know, what's sexy, really what I'm saying is like, what is it like, how can you make yourself the most attractive to someone? I would say be yourself. Mm -hmm. But before you do that, you need to identify like, what is, what about me do I like the most? Because if it's just like your abs or your butt or your penis or, you and know. The, and that's all you can talk or, about. Or, or your breasts. So all you do is wear like low cut tops so people see your Which, breasts. Which, you know, nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with how you want to present yourself. But I just think we're all, for, uh, hopefully, more than just a part of our body. And I think if you just count on that part of your body, then there are countless people who offer the same thing you do. Mm-hmm. Right? And who might be nice. If, and who if, might be nicer. If you like how I look, there are plenty of men out there who look just like me. Better. So it's like that that doesn't hold anything for me. But if you like my personality, right? Mm-hmm. If you think I'm smart and funny or whatever, that's something unique to me. Well, I like it all. So, you know, I that's what's sexy to me. Okay, but anyway, getting back to why we didn't jump in the pool last night is because Netflix uh, be- is a joke. Because of JoJo's song, I don't need nobody because I'm sexy to me. Oh, my God. Oh, JoJo. <laughs> anyway. I do like Sorry. that song. <laughs> um, and before we get to that, we forgot to mention something we did last Sunday, which is a play. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we do need to talk about that play. Is it still... Um, Hairgate eclipsed uh, us talking. Hairgate eclipsed, but last Sunday we attended a at, at the play Mark, at the Mark Taper Forum, mm-hmm. uh, which was... Blues for an Alabama Sky. Blues for an Alabama by, Sky. By Pearl Klieg. Directed, it's playing for a, exactly another seven days until next Sunday. Directed by Felicia Rashad. And directed she, by uh, yeah, Claire Huxtable. She uh, originated the lead role um, in the 90s. I want to say 95, I think. Um, I think she originated it. She she definitely played that role in 95. I have to give a shout out because I know he's listening. Uh, Greg Alvarez Reed plays Guy Jacobs. He's like the the star of the the star of the play is a homosexual black man. Is a, really in, the homosexual black man? I would say is the star. Oh, the 1930s uh, and it's set in the 1930s Harlem. Oh, and also um, is it Angel? Angel. Uh, so do we have time? It's basically about. Like during the Harlem Renaissance, there's this uh, gay. Well, it's like bla- the end of the Harlem Renaissance. The end, and there's this gay black man named Guy, and he is a fashion designer, and his dream is to move to Paris to be um, a costumer for Josephine Baker. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of his center. And then he lives with, or his best friend, Angel, lives with him, and she's kind of a mess. She's mm-hmm. like a lounge singer, but she's caught up with like gangsters. So really, she's kind of a. Um, Italian gangsters. Yeah, so she's kind of like stagnant. But he's begging her, like, girl, when I go to Paris, come with me. But she's starting to feel like it's a pipe dream. Like, you just keep sending letters to Josephine Baker. She's never going to... And, um, you know, to spoil everything, in, towards the end, he finally does receive a letter back from Josephine Baker. Because the fear for the audience throughout the first, you know, two-thirds of the story... Because we see him send her a package of five dresses. Mm-hmm. Because he says, she told him... Send me five dresses, I'll see if I like them. But then he never hears back. So, of course, we're thinking, this bitch stole his dresses. Which I should have known that a black playwright wouldn't paint Josephine Baker in that way. But right, I was, right. But, so, I, so, so I should have known better that they, but, she wouldn't have been made But we're villain. so used to, like, abject mi- miserableism. Exactly, exactly. I was so nervous. But, you know, to spoil it, he does receive a letter back with a boatload of money 
telling him, get your black ass to Paris, first class, because mm-hmm. I need you here to... Tomorrow. Me, I, like, I need you here to make me look beautiful. So, guy's life changes. Like, now everything's first class, he's ready to go, but then something happens with Angel that prevents her. Well, she had a dalliance with the man that got her pregnant, and... and he's very homophobic, and then she ends up having an abortion, and blah, blah, blah. But... What's so remarkable about this story is it's so timely. Yeah. It is so timely. Like, watching it in 2022, it feels like this could have been written. I mean, it feels like it could be... Like it's going... Well, there are things... Like there's a... Portions of it are going on. Yeah, yeah. So, I will say some of the performance... It's worth a look. The least expensive tickets were under $40. So, I would... If you're in LA, you definitely need to go see this. Um... But I think the star of the show is Greg Alvarez Reed as uh, Guy. And the, I like the actress that played Angel, though, as well. Nia, or I'm assuming it's either Nia or Naya Okoro. She she was great, too. Um, but, but no, he was, he was excellent. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend it. So yes, we saw that last Sunday. And I read the play right before we saw it. I think it's uh, extremely well written. I have a, a, it's in a collection of other plays by Pearl Klieg if I'm saying her name right, that I would like to read as well. But uh, yeah, I, I saw it because we got an ad because I think I'm a member, uh, I subscribe to the Mark Taper Forum because we saw Diane Reese there a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and immediately I was like, oh, Felicia Rashad directed this play. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so yes, please go see Blues for an Alabama summer if you're in LA. I'm, I'm sorry, in Alabama. When, if you're in LA for the rest of this week up until Sunday. Um But yesterday, so Netflix is a joke. That sort of festival is happening now now for like, it's like a two week long thing with shows all over the city, comedy shows. So Nick, you got your press pass so you can see whatever you want. So last night we went to see Wanda Sykes. At the Orpheum. Mm -hmm. The Orpheum. We're not supposed to talk about it. We're not supposed to reveal any jokes. Oh, so Uh, I can't even talk about the, her set. Yeah, we can't really, we're not supposed to talk about it. Okay. Well, (laughs) but we can say our impressions. Yes, the line around the block. Oh my god! Oh, it was sold out, and well, because everyone had to surrender their phone to put it into like a security device that mm-hmm. we were allowed to keep, but mm-hmm. that made entry super slow. So yeah, there was a line around the block at the Orpheum downtown LA. Um, so since I can't tell any of the jokes, I will say my initial impre- impression leaving was that I think Wanda's funny. Oh yeah, super and I've funny. always liked Wanda. Um. On the Chris Rock show on HBO, I loved her. Of course, she's to me the best part of Pootie Tang. Uh, Monster in Law. Monster in Law, when she tells Jane Fonda, You should marry another gay man. That That was was fun. fun. (laughs) So she's very funny. And then hearing her talk about her French wife, which which she's done for over a decade, that was funny. But since we can't tell jokes, I would say my initial impression was it seemed like maybe this is new material she's working out. Yeah, it's it's a It was a little stiff, a little. But that being said, she's obviously a professional, so mm-hmm. she got through it like a pro, but it was obvious that maybe some of the wrinkles hadn't been worked out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But still a joy. Like, Tic- I don't know. I heard tickets were quite expensive and sold out pretty fast. We didn't pay, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was fun seeing her. Okay, moving on. Oh, I wanted to give a shout out because someone sent us... Um, since we talked about having a new record player and um, needing to start a collection, someone sent us a record uh, 
for the soundtrack of the 1967 film In the Heat of the Night. Yes. Uh, shout out to a Floridian named Eric. Yes. Have you seen that movie? Oh, of course I've seen that movie. Are you kidding? I'm familiar with the TV show, but I've never seen the movie. <gasps> okay, so we have to watch it, especially because I believe Kino Lorber just sent me a new 4K <laughs> a DVD of oh, it. Oh, you have the restoration of it. Oh, yeah. That's not even open. Yeah, it's, it's not still even in the plastic. Yeah, it's sitting on my desk upstairs. Uh, Rod Steiger won his Oscar for oh, it. Oh, that's pretty uh, uh, timely. Okay. Ray, Ray Charles sings the uh, title song. And, uh, you know, I, I've been talking about Lee Grant, who over several podcasts uh, for different reasons, but she's in it. This was kind of her return to cinema after being blacklisted. Uh, Sidney Poitier, of course. Well, AFI has it in their 100 greatest movies in American history. And then this movie has the very famous quote, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Yes, which I just watched the sequel uh, to In the Heat of the Night recently as well. There are uh, two sequels. There I are think. two sequels, yes. Yeah. And the third one's called, the is it The Organization or The... I haven't seen it, but... Anyway, yes, excellent movie. Um, it I, is called The Organization. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, damn, I'm not, that's good. Uh, <laughs> Here, I, this is the sound of Nick mm -hmm. being pat on and the I back. And I think it's Norm, Norman Jewison, right? Well, you're asking a lot from me right now. You're asking who the director is? Yeah. Okay, well, that... just to make you feel good, let's check. The director is Don Medford. Don Medford. Why did I think Norman Jewison directed that? Well, here, if you want to impress us further, what has Don Medford done? Oh, I can't think off the top of my head. Because in my head, it was Norman Jewison. Anyway. Oh, I think Don Medford's known for TV. Like The Fugitive, The Colbys. He did a bunch of Dynasty. Oh, he did the film The Hunting Party, if you know that. Uh, no. I think with Candace Bergen. The, what, the Hunting Party? No. The Hunting Party is with Candace Bergen. Oh, there you go. Okay. See, damn, you're good. <laughs> and Gene Hackman. Yeah, I own that. Mm -hmm. Oh, shout out to Gene Hackman and Heartbreakers, which segues into um, someone took us to dinner yes. last week um, at a very fancy restaurant downtown, mm -hmm. like wanted to treat us to a nice dinner. And we show up before this person did. So I assume the reservation would be under this person's name. So no. I go to the, uh, the, the, the host stand and say like, you know, party at three under this name. And the person's like, oh, we don't have a reservation. So I'm like, okay, well, this is awkward. Let me go move my ass out of the way. And then when he arrived, he had put the reservation under the name of Olga Avenova. Which is Sigourney Weaver's one of her, her aliases uh, in, in Heartbreakers. Heartbreakers when she goes to a Russian restaurant with, uh, or yeah, with Jean. When she's pretending to be a Russian woman with uh, Jean Hackman. Also, where are, you <laughs> look, where are you looking up your In the Heat of the Night um, information? Because it is Norman Jewess, and I just checked IMDb. The Hunting Party? No. The Organization. The In the Heat of the Night. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were asking who directed The Organization. Oh, okay. No. no. Um, so let me... So, well, we can add this to Sorry to This Man section. Um, Norman Jewison mm -hmm. directed in the heat of the night. Yes. Okay. See, in my head, I knew in my head movie. Anyway, so yes, so we have that record. But well, yeah, now we need to, or I need to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Moving on, did you know that Rob Lowe has a podcast? Maybe I've heard the of that. The podcast is called Literally. <laughs> and I was looking, through, I haven't listened to any of it, but. I was looking through his episodes and it's funny to see like some of these celebrities who have podcasts because every episode is like a celebrity guest 
And these are clearly like their friends. Yes. So Rob Lowe's guest list looks like people, like everyone he's ever done a movie with, mm-hmm. a lot of old sort of Hollywood type people, because he's in his 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Probably pushing 60. So a lot of like mature Hollywood actors or people he's worked with, a lot of really cool people. Um, definitely the next road trip I, we take, I would put him on. But the reason I bring him up is because his most recent episode, he interviewed Michael Douglas. Is this the Deborah Winger thing? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So apparently he told the story of, for the film Romancing the Stone. Mm -hmm. Which starred, and eventually starred Kathleen Turner. Originally, Deborah Winger was cast in the Kathleen Turner role that we Mm -hmm. all know. So they went to go visit her in, I believe it was Texas, because she was filming Terms of Endearment. I thought it was Nebraska. Wherever she was filming Terms of Endearment. Only because I remember she was fucking the mayor oh anyway well they go to visit her michael douglas and the director and they go and they're having a dinner and it seemed fine and then michael douglas says as they were leaving the restaurant someone told a joke and he was like you know how like when you tell a joke and your buddy sort of taps you on the arm like oh you're a mm-hmm. you're a jokester at that moment instead of like deborah winger punching michael douglas in that way she grabbed his arm and bit this motherfucker. Yeah. And drew blood. Yeah. So he said he was so upset. He went back to Hollywood and told the execs, like, I cannot work with her. And then they decided, yeah, she would probably be volatile on set. Which and, is, you know, okay. So Deborah Winger. But I thought that was a fun story, but I don't think I know who Deborah Winger is. Girl, we just talked about her last week because Arliss Howard is her husband. Oh, who I thought was cute in the movie I Know My First Name is Steven. Yeah. You. <laughs> You don't know. You've never seen an officer and a gentleman, or I don't think so. Urban Cowboy, Forget no, Paris. Yeah, no. you've seen her in Kajillionaire. Kajillion. She's the mom. She's the mom. That's Deborah Winger. That's Deborah Winger with but, that long ass hair. Yes. Oh, but I still could tell you what she looks. She like. retired for a while. She turned her back on Hollywood. You know, Deborah, <laughs> she turned. I think Hollywood turned his back on her. No, no, she, no, no. She did. She <laughs> was very outspoken in the late '80s and '90s. She also had a pay-for-play contract for League of Their Own. She was supposed to be the Gina Davis character, and she refused to work with Madonna. So she was paid for a League of Their Own and didn't star in it. And Gina Davis was a last minute. And I think Gina Davis is so beautiful in that. Anyway. But, Gina Davis is gorgeous. Uh, Deborah Winger. Okay. So I think Deborah Winger is a great actress. Uh, but she. Oh, she did a really good movie with Tracy Letts I like called The Lovers a few years ago. But she was so outspoken. She talked shit. She trash talked everybody. Even my gal Sigourney. What would she say about Sigourney? I don't remember what it was. But Sigourney came out in an interview to be like, oh my God, Deborah Winger getting on my ass about this. <laughs> Very few people have come, uh, come out against Sigourney. It well, was that's a big lady. Her. What you will say to Sigourney, and then you f- confront her, and then she stomps like. <laughs> and also, um, is it Ivana? Ivana Trump got huffy with Sigourney oh. over making a comment about wearing a blonde wig in Galaxy Quest because Sigourney said she could feel her, her IQ br- going down or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of not appropriate. But, <laughs> but poor, whatever. Poor, poor thing to say. Anyway. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was a funny story. Okay, do you have anything for the sorry to this man section? Not that I know. Okay. I'm, I'm sure I said something wrong sometime this week. Well, but. then I'll move on to, um, it's May 1st today, so you're going to go over your best of April releases, and while you do that, I'm going to make water. Which, May 1st is May Day, which, uh, as you know, is the famed Grace Jones villain, just so we all uh, remember Grace. Uh, yes, so April's done uh, films to 
check up on that I recommend that were my favorite release during the month were in no particular order. Uh, you Won't Be Alone, starring Numi Rapace uh, and Alice Englert, amongst uh, many others that I'm probably forgetting right now. Uh, directorial debut of Goran Stolevsky, uh, set in 19th century Macedonia. Uh, art house film about witches that is a really interesting study on sexuality and gender as well. Uh, a Pitch Upon Weirastical's Memoria uh, has hit theaters, and this will never be released on uh, in, in any kind of tangible, physical, home entertainment release. This is a film that Neon has said will be traveling in theaters till the end of time, I guess. So, But uh, if you have a chance to see Memoria starring Tilda Swinton, highly recommended. Uh, All the Old Knives, directed by Janusz Metz, uh, which is an Amazon Prime film starring Tandua Newton and Chris Pine. Uh, I was also really impressed with this film because uh, I went in not expecting anything, and it's kind of an old-school thriller that I liked. Uh, the Northman, directed by Robert Eggers. I don't think it's a perfect film. I think that I would have preferred to see what he originally intended because I know that he had to redo the script in post due to test audience reactions. Uh, I think it's a very, ex uh, what is it, somebody called it Viking porn. Or uh, uh, I really like Nicole Kidman in it, even though she's doing that accented English thing. I think it's really, it's beautifully shot. There are a lot of things I really like about it. Uh, definitely worth seeing. Petite Maman, uh, which came out last week, directed by Celine Sciamma. I think out of her five films, it's not, I don't know that it's my favorite, but it's excellent. And Gaspar Noe's Vortex, okay. which we covered last week, which is not entertaining, but should have competed for the Palme d'Or. I think it was a very accomplished, sobering film. Moving on to films released we didn't cover... Um, the first, I the first film is called Black Box, which I feel like I need to shout out the 1990s right on time group called Black Box. Mm -hmm. They have an album called Dreamland, which I think is excellent, and it features songs that people probably know. But the most popular one is Everybody, Everybody. Uh, my favorite's Right on Time, but Right on Time. There, there's I don't know anybody else. Like there are so many songs I like from that album, but that. Um, album famously had vocals by Martha Wash. Oh yeah. But the front but the lead singer like in the videos and on the album cover was this like French Caribbean model who mm -hmm. was stunning yes. and could dance but, but couldn't, couldn't sing. She couldn't sing like Martha Wash. No one can sing like Martha Wash, but yeah, when I saw you had written that I just thought um Dreamland is such a good album. Yes. And And actually when I was writing my review for that, I was trying to incorporate something about Ride on Time, but I thought well, I didn't, but strike it up. Yeah, that's a good song. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know um, the movie you're about to talk about. So three, <laughs> I, I covered three films at Ion Cinema that we didn't do because I didn't want to overwhelm you. But three, oh, there are three thanks. new French films that came out April 29th that I all I, I liked all of them uh, to varying degrees. But Black Box, uh, it's a thriller uh, directed by Yann Goslin, starring Pierre Niney, uh, who of course won a Caesar for playing Yves Saint Laurent. Uh, that was his breakout almost a decade ago. He starred in a previous film directed by Jan Goslin, which I remember seeing at Kolkoa, called A, a Perfect Man. Um, this film is a throwback to kind of 90s tech thrillers, and I really, I did really enjoy it. I think it's um, sleek, a little sexy. I think Pierre Niney is really good. It's like you. Oh, thank you. It's, it's felt uh, like a, a, a slim bird with a little waist. Uh, Shout out to Jerry Blank. <laughs> um, and Lou Delage, uh, who they give 
terrible slick back blonde hair to to suggest that she's a businesswoman. Uh, it reminded me it, uh, of this book Michael Crichton wrote called Airframe in 1996. And that was supposed to be a film starring at one time Demi Moore, one time Gina Davis, at one time Sigourney Weaver. So it was very high on my, ri- my radar as a seventh grader. It never got made. Uh, but it actually has very similar plot mechanics to Black Box. But uh, anyway, if you have the chance to see that, highly recommended. Uh, next uh, of the trio of French films is I Love America, which is a terrible title, and I really don't think it fits the film that well. But if you like Sophie Marceau, uh, it's worth a watch. It's directed by Lisa Azuelos, uh, who you might be familiar with because she directed a film called LOL, uh, which also starred Sophie Marceau and was remade by Lisa Azuelos in 2012, starring Miley Cyrus and Demi Moore. Uh, this last film is, is about a film of a woman, this is a film director that moves from France to uh, LA as her mother is uh, about to euthanize herself, a mother she's not close to, and she kind of exists in Los Angeles with her gay best friend, uh, who they actually give a lot of screen time to and try to navigate his own experiences uh, as it, like with the Sisyphean uh, struggle to find uh, intimacy and love in the gay community using apps like it, it does a lot with a little uh, but I didn't realize Lisa Azuelos is the daughter of Marie Laforet uh, very famous 1960s 70s French singer uh, so I actually spent the week listening to her discography because uh, I wasn't really familiar with her but she had a very kind of estranged relationship with her mother which she tried to kind of pays tribute to in this film anyway I think that's an Amazon Prime film uh, despite the poster art and the marketing it's really worth a watch uh, and Sophie Marceau is quite good another uh, film a French film released that played in Cannes Critic, Cannes Critic Week last year is uh, Anaïs in Love uh, directed by Charlene Bourgeois Taquette and I really like this film it's got a uh, Anaïs de Moustier as the lead, who's this carefree girl who can't get her shit together. And she has an affair with this older man, but she ends up falling in love with his wife, played by oh. uh, Valeria Bruni Tedeschi. Uh, and that it's it just, uh, it, it's very French, very interesting, uh, very worthwhile. There's a scene set to Kim Carnes, Betty Davis eyes that I loved. I, I don't know, maybe just French women dancing and being carefree was enough for me. Uh, anyway, also a film, neither of us, we didn't cover The Aviary, uh, a cult thriller starring Chris Messina and Malin Ackerman, uh, a documentary called Hello Bookstore, directed by A.B. Zacks, which is about a bookstore that took on great prominence in this community during the pandemic, which sounds interesting. And another uh, Norman Jewison reference, uh, there's a documentary about uh, the making of Fiddler on the Roof, which he directed called Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen, which I would watch because I am a fan of that film. Have you seen that? No. Oh, so you... Wait. Fi- Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, well... Topol. You know, I dated someone who was in Fiddler on the Roof in Broadway, so I saw it then, but that was it. You haven't seen the film. But I couldn't... Yeah, no, I didn't. I remember my... For whatever reason, my mother... See, I, I knew she knew I was gay before she'll admit it, because she bought me... <laughs> before she'll admit it. Before... Uh, I was I had no I was not asking for Fiddler on the Roof. Mama Bell, you your radar was off. <laughs> she she bought me on VHS Fiddler on the Roof, which is a long film, so it's two VHS, and I got that for Christmas. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Uh, and I loved it, but uh, uh, interesting. Moving on to movies we watch for fun. First off, um, uh, 
this morning we watched the interview with Oprah and Viola. Which I really like. Yeah. And I decided to watch it because when I saw Oprah had selected Viola Davis's memoir, Finding Me, as her book club selection, I thought that was interesting because I think I my impression of Viola Davis is that she's a noted actor and, you know, probably the most successful black actress because she has won Academy Award and then four nominations. So I guess from the, on that rubric and then has had a very successful TV show and so I think arguably the most successful black actress. So, you know, has a lot to say about many things, but I don't know. Like, I, I thought it was a curious choice. So when I saw that the interview was on Netflix, I wanted to watch it. And I have to say, I was so emotional the entire time. Yeah, it was hard not I to was cry. crying yeah. a lot. Um, so many things struck me. But did you want to talk about things that really stuck out to you? Yeah. Um, you know how when you talk to somebody that sees you in a way that knows experiences that no one could know. Um, I was struck by Oprah and Viola sharing experiences from childhood concerning the rats in the kitchen. Mm, in poverty. Yeah. In, po- in poverty and just how nobody could possibly know that unless you went through it. And this, these two black women of a certain age, like how we, you know, you, you grow up normalizing your experiences because that's all you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then realizing that, oh, I wasn't the only one to have to go through this is a powerful... Well, first of all, seeing these two beautiful black women sitting in this like beautiful landscape, you can't even call it a yard. They were at Oprah's estate in Maui. Mm-hmm. So it's just like these two successful, beautiful black women sitting in like, I don't know, I, I don't have money like that. I don't know what you even call the veranda. I don't know, the what, veranda, I don't know yeah. where the fuck they were sitting. But it's like this black lady billionaire and her one of her many properties, they just are like, oh, thank you for coming to my home in Maui. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there and it's so beautiful. And they both have these big careers and they're both like, well, really Oprah is just like, you know, whatever people might think and whatever missteps she's had, it's like she she really is very good. I agree. At interviewing. And it's very clear that she, at this point in her career... But I think, you know, I am a huge Oprah fan, watched all the episodes, you know, the final year of her... She's not above critique, but yes. No, she's not. But what she does very well, especially when she had power, which was very early on in her career, she only really does things she wants to. So yes. it's very interesting watching someone talk to people who they have chosen to speak to. Yes. Versus everyone else doing these talk shows where it's like, they're just like watching like the reel or the talk or mm-hmm. the view where it's like, they just, anyone they can get, any topic they can talk about. It's like fe- feeding off the attention of getting this person. Yeah. Exactly. But then Oprah is Oprah. So she's like, I don't get out of bed unless mm-hmm. it's something I want to do. I don't leave my house for 322 days during a pandemic. <laughs> right. So it's like, she read this book. She loved it. Clearly she had a lot to say about the book and listening to her talk to this other black woman about her successful career and how she, it was just so moving. But the thing that really had me like emotional was Viola talking about, she tells a story about, well, Oprah brings up a story about Viola, like being like a 12 year old or a a kid in school and being called to the principal's office because of hygiene, Mm -hmm. because they didn't have money. They didn't have running water or hot water sometimes or soap. And then she was a bedwetter. And of course, they didn't have the ability to change sheets. Or, so she would come to school smelling bad enough that she needed to be spoken to. 
And then Viola talks about how, you know, like when you don't know and there's no one to show you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the first time I thought that's probably how I would describe my life. Like my mom, Viola also says that she really loves her mom and the things she learned from her or believes is that she did the best she could with what she knew. Mm -hmm. And I think that really hit me hard about just accepting that our parents did they did the best they could with what they knew and forgiving those mistakes is so important because mm -hmm. really what we're lamenting is the idea that somehow all of that all of that pain all of those memories are somehow going to change mm -hmm. but they're not right they're not but the thing that really hit me was the moving on in life and not having anyone to tell me how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I have felt that way up until, I mean, well into my adulthood that I kind of just went through life, even though my mom loved me and I felt very cared for and attended to, there were so many things that she didn't know to show me or couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. And there were so many scenarios where I wish, like looking back, I cringed, like wishing I would have handled it differently or didn't make decisions. Or, or should have made decisions that I didn't. And I just didn't know. And I do think that I live with a lot of shame and embarrassment because of so many failures. But that that's never going to change. Like, I can't go back and correct no. anything. Yeah, I, th I think what struck me too is this, this living in shame can be dissipated in the face of, what does she say, compassion and empathy. Empathy, yeah. yeah. So... I do think it's a powerful statement to make the decision and certainly to witness someone who's made the decision to just say, moving forward, I'm going to be different. I'm going to do better. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I, I think I really connected with her talking about that shame mm -hmm. and then coming to a point where she realized that she needs to make a change mm -hmm. and just do better. But yeah, um, it's on Netflix. I would definitely recommend watching it. Uh, well, now I want to read her memoir, which I think hasn't... Did it, oh, it just came out. Um, I think it came out April 27th. Well, you know, anytime... It, like the, the colorism aspects, like learning that her sister uh, was beaten in a school by a, a lighter-skinned teacher for being... Because she was too black, which, you know, to me is like your reminder of the thing the teacher hates about herself. Oh, speaking like, of that, you missed the first two minutes of the interview, but it opens with the first paragraph of the memoir and she talks about how she would leave school every day being chased by eight or nine white boys who would call her you ugly black n-word and that she built a toughness around that because she was very aggressive with them like she would give them the finger and she mm -hmm. would cuss at them and then one day she finally came to school with a, a crochet needle and threatened them and then they stopped but she said that energy stayed with her for so long that she felt like she had to fight against this thing mm -hmm. that... Well, because it's a survival mechanism. It's a defense mechanism that eventually will drag you down. But... Right, but she <laughs> believed in the things they told her. That, that she too. was ugly. Yeah. And that she... So, yeah, you missed that part, but yes. Well, it, yes. And then seeing a woman that does look like Viola Davis, who's beautiful and intelligent and, you know, extremely articulate. And, yeah, just like all the trauma people go through... And believing that they're ugly or not good enough. And sometimes within our own communities, whatever those might be, when you're seeking solace and those people turn their back on you too, 
you know. <laughs> yeah. But the the I think what's the triumph of surviving uh, and being successful. Lastly, it's funny whenever Oprah talks about Gail, she always <laughs> Gail's always like Gail's always like an example to Oprah of like doing better because she's like girl when i when i when i read this book i told gail you need to pray for a man like viola did or like no she's like gail said i don't know how somebody could get over trauma like that like gail is this unformed being yes <laughs> yes oprah is always shading her best friend gail gail's still on a, a journey to find herself according yeah. to oprah okay moving on something called h story oh yeah so we watched uh lux. i watched that no we oh. watched lux eterna oh okay uh another, another gaspar release from 2019 that's uh, coming out sporadically starting next week uh, and starring a favorite of mine, Beatrice Dahl. And um, Mubi has currently streaming a film called H-Story starring Beatrice that I've never seen. So I watched that. It's directed by Nobuhiro Sua. Uh, and it's actually a really interesting remake of Hiroshima Mon Amour, the classic uh, Elaine Renee film. Mm. Uh but it's a film about the making of a potential remake of it. And she's playing it, again, like in Lux Eterna, a version of herself as an actress who can't remember these lines or kind of get her head around them. Uh, and, and does there need to be a... Con- there, the context has changed about World War II Hiroshima versus when they're making this in 2001. Uh, so interesting. And then it also, uh, because of Lux Eterna, I've had a copy, not a very good copy, because it needs to be restored, version of this 1980s film directed by Marco Bellocchio that Beatrice starred in called The Witch's Sabbath. Uh, so I finally put that on. Next, something called Shock. Well, you watched this with me. What's that about? The Mario, Mario Baba's swan song uh, starring Daria... Uh, oh, God, I'm forgetting her name now. What is it about? Uh, that woman who moves back to her country house and there's a, a demon of a man that possesses her child. Oh, yes. That felt like a lot of those, att- like, what do you call them? Jalo. Yeah, it felt like I've seen that movie eight times oh, before. Sorry, Dario, Nic- Dario, Dario Nicolodi, who's uh, Ozzy Argento's mother, Dario Argento's ex Actually, nothing about the film stood out to me, really. Except for that one famous scene. Which is? Was the kid running down the hallway and he changes into oh, that. Oh, yes. And then, like the boy's running towards his mom and then all of a sudden he jumps at her as a, an adult man. That oh, was it, creepy. It, and it's her former husband. Yeah. Um, the, and I, you kept saying she The looked, spirit of her dead, her former husband is haunting her. He was abusive to her. Yes. And she had a drug problem. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think the story's in, but you know, those films just, it's, it, the dubbing takes you out. Sure. And the production quality, I think they look really cool, but the production quality is kind of like, I thought it looked really good. And I didn't mind her performance as this woman going mad in a house. You kept saying she looked like Kathy Griffin mixed with somebody. Uh, She looked like, yeah, an amalgamation of a lot of people. She had an interesting look. Because in some angles, it's like, wow, she's really pretty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I definitely think it's worth a watch. I had it because Arrow Video recently... Put a restoration out, but you know, I I never watched this film because I was so irritated by the poster art uh, years oh, ago. God. Because the poster art is uh, they reconstituted the original book cover of Shirley Jackson's "We Have Always Lived in the Castle." Oh, which is a much better story. But uh, 
I was always so confused by that movie cover. I'm like, no, this is not Shirley Jackson. But whatever. Okay, lastly, you watched Brown Sugar. Yes, uh, which I did really enjoy. Uh, 2002, the sophomore film directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who you know from, um, he directed Our Family Wedding. Uh, his la- He's done TV since 2015, but his last movie was Dope, which I remember being uh, wildly applauded at Sundance. Uh, Brown Sugar, his follow-up to The Wood, starring Tay Diggs and Sanaa Lathan. Uh, All I remember is Tay Diggs' hair and Brown Sugar is also a little questionable. <laughs> yes. That man, they can't get his hairline right. <laughs> I don't know. And Queen Latifah and... Playing Mo- not a lesbian. Not a lesbian, uh, most deaf. And, <laughs> interestingly, uh, Nicole Ari Parker and Boris Kojo, uh, who both are in relationships with, it's kind of like a my best friend's wedding scenario where these two people this man and woman that grew up together are friends but they're really in love with each other and it takes them having relationships with others to make them realize it and Tay starts dating Nicole Ari Parker and she starts dating Boris Kojo which is interesting because the other two are married in real life uh, I did like it there are some nice emotional moments uh, it, it is pretty familiar feeling but yeah, it's just it's this film that's existed that I've been aware of that I never watched. Okay, these episodes keep getting longer and longer because we have to take a little break because we're running over time. So hold on. Okay. All right, so you wrote down some previews. I'm assuming you're excited to see. So the first one is Avatar Way of Water. So CinemaCon in Las Vegas unveiled, I, I think, the preview and footage of... The Avatar sequel, uh, which is, has been crowned the way of water. <laughs> and uh, we are seeing that preview tomorrow because Disney... We're seeing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness or whatever, but... We're watching Doctor Strange tomorrow. The, yeah. the new Doctor Strange. Yeah. And Where? AMC, Century oh. City. Anyway, uh, then after the CinemaCon revelation, uh, Disney is uh, invited us to a separate event happening right before the film. Because the, the preview is going to be exclusively attached to that movie in theaters for people to see it which makes no sense to me because it's going to be online anyway uh wait so we're going to go a little early to see this preview that they're having but the you know you could ostensibly drive to this preview and just that which is so strange to me but that's how they're trying to hype it um needless to say i want to see a glimpse of sigourney or i will just be cranky and i hope they do her hair better than they did in the first avatar well she died in the first one so Oh, so maybe she's like a tree branch or something. I don't know. Well, she filmed... She's underwater because I know she filmed underwater. Her body must be featured somewhere because she filmed underwater. Like, Well, she's underwater. Her hair will certainly look better than it did in the first one. Yeah. Um, You have another preview called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Yeah. (laughs) You haven't watched the preview yet, but... uh, What is that? With Isabelle Huppert and Leslie Manville. Oh. Uh, So it's based on a Paul Gallico book, which I have yet to read, but he wrote... More famously, the Poseidon Adventure, uh, but he wrote this book. Uh, Mrs. Harris goes. I think he wrote a, a series of books about this character named Mrs. Harris, who's a cleaning woman in London. And there is a 1992 TV version of this book starring Angela Lansbury, Diana Rigg, and Omar Sharif. Uh, but the remake films in Budapest during the pandemic with Leslie and Isabel and Focus Features just released the trailer because uh, I had posted you've seen pictures because I posted them of Isabel in this but mm-hmm. she's playing a villain she's based on the preview it sounds like she's a nasty lady uh, but yeah I haven't made you watch it yet but of course it got me excited great 
So we need to run through these quickly. Projects of interest. Hamlet. Uh, Florence Serban is a Romanian film director who's kind of uh, kind of part of that Romanian new wave. I think his first breakout was in 2010 with I, If I Want to Whistle, I Whistle. Um, I did see a film he did called Box, which is like seven years old now too. But he's announced a new feature called Hamlet, uh, which sounds really interesting because it's, it's credited as like a female revenge thriller. And it's about a production of Hamlet going up and the whoever is putting it up invites all these actresses to uh, audition and says they have to audition to the death. And that's all I read about it, but that sounds interesting to me. Sandler's Safdies? Adam Sandler has revealed that the Safdie brothers are working on a new project with him involved. And of course, if you saw Uncut Gems... You'd Uncut probably... Joms. Uncut Joms. When I saw Uncut Joms... Uh, I think you'll be interested in that. What's that girl's name? Julia Fox? I don't know. Can I say, what a fucking idiot. Anyway. I don't know if I call her all that, but she's she's definitely trying hard to be... Oh, God. It, I mean, it's working. Just shut up. Shut up. Stop doing your own makeup. Stop going out in public. Stop it. Um, Fear the Night. Neil Labute, who, you know, he did that terrible Wicker Man remake, but Neil Labute has done some good films. He's announced a new film called Fear the Night, which is going to be headlined by Maggie Q. And Ferrari. Michael Mann is finally getting his Ferrari project off the ground. I think, I, I don't know if they're either in post or in pre-production or they're doing location stuff shooting. Wait, isn't there a movie with Matt Damon for like Ferrari? And Christian Bale. That's called Ford versus Ferrari. Oh. Uh, and that is a um, James Mangold film. I don't think I need another movie. This is actually about Ferrari. Uh, oh. with I think it's Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz, mm. which both of those people have played Italians recently and shouldn't have. I'm not interested. Gianni. Gianni Verstappen. Okay, moving on. Unfortunately, there are entries into the obituaries. So, yeah. Naomi Judd. Mm. The Lord done took her too. Yeah. Um, I remember being a kid. This is so shady. But I remember being a kid and thinking that that's my probably first memory of when you see like a mother-daughter. Yeah. And the mother's prettier than the daughter. Yeah. I remember thinking that as a kid, like, oh, that's weird. Like, the mom is so beautiful, and then the daughter looks like not like her mom. I don't mean it like that, but just like as a kid, I remember thinking, like, my mom's beautiful, but then my sister grew up to be a beautiful woman, so it made sense. Mm -hmm. But like, as a kid, I remember thinking, I don't know, the examples around me were either like, oh, the mother and daughter are both beautiful, mm -hmm. or mom and daughter are both busted. Like, that's what I was used to. Right, right, right. So I remember thinking as a kid that it well, was so weird. <laughs> Winona was beautiful in her own way. Winona is a beautiful person. And, but... you know, if uh, I, I think maybe was even a, is a better singer than her mother as well. Well, her mom was very glam. Yes. And I think Winona leaned in more to like butch, well, you know, she like did, country. Which is fine, though. I mean, yeah. But, yeah, so now... Uh, so Naomi's gone. Yeah. I think she was 76. Yeah. I don't know what she passed from. But yeah, she was a very beautiful lady. I'm uh, sure to other people she meant more than just that. But Yeah, I'm quite, of course. I ain't shit. Of so, course. So I'm just talking trash. Um, and then someone named Joanna Barnes. Yeah, who's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, probably most notably in Auntie Mame uh, as a supporting character, Gloria. Uh, she was in a ton of huge films, Spartacus. Her last film was actually the 1998 remake of The Parent Trap. All right, moving on to our secret movie. We watched Surviving Compton, Dre, Suge, and Michelle. Which I chose. Michelle. Can you say it? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Michelle. Okay, so 
Uh, what what to say about Surviving Compton? Okay, it was so, a Lifetime movie. Yes, that came out. That came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. I watched it back in 2016. I had never seen. I it. I was very surprised. You um you you said last night as we were leaving Wanda Sykes that I chose this movie. You're, you're like, oh, I have because we were gonna. I'm our secret film for next week. I'll keep secret, but we were going to watch it for today. Yeah, and then we thought it made more sense for next week. And then you said, oh, I know something. And I thought you were trying to suggest like something for us to do later that night. I don't know what I was thinking. So my mind was somewhere very different. And then you were like, surviving Compton. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> you normally poo-poo these types of movies when I want to watch them. So I, I was like, he's not talking about the Lifetime movie. Yes, you were. <laughs> so what made you want to watch this? Uh, I was searching for something on Netflix and it came up. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this and I would, I would be interested in watching this. Um, and then, and then I think the uh, Netflix played a clip from the film. Like, oh yeah, I definitely want to watch this. Uh, I don't know. Just I, I, I like I've seen Michelet perform. Uh, I think as I, I made this comment, that watching this made it even more apparent. I do like Straight Out of Straight Out of Compton as a film, but it, every time I see films or documentaries relating to uh, any of these figures from this period. It's like there are so many more facets to this world and these their stories that we don't see, and usually involving the women. Uh, well, so first of all, Michelle is an R and B singer. She became popular in the like very late eighties, early nineties. She started singing with um, members of N.W.A. They had a group. They were affiliated with a different group, and she sang like the hook on one of their songs. And then she had an album that I had. And she had three popular songs, a ballad called Something in My Heart, an up-tempo song called Nicety, like nice mixed with nasty. Mm-hmm. And then her most popular song is something called No More Lies, mm-hmm. which actually features her. She's notable for having like a baby voice. Okay, so sh- watching this film for the first time made me think, oh yeah, it clicked. Michelle sounds like fucking Butterfly McQueen. You know, you know what Butterfly McQueen is? Yes, of course. I don't um, know nothing about Black No Babies. Okay, so I'm very familiar with Michelle because I had the album, loved the, the, the three singles that she had. And then in 2013, she was on a show called R&B Divas LA. That's right. Which, you know, I really like that yeah. show. That features some people I also like. Faith. Like Don Robinson. Well, Faith was... Faith was the, First the, season. The, the EP. So she was on R&B Divas Atlanta and she did make appearances in LA. Okay. Um... But it had Don Robinson from En Vogue. Uh, it had a few people I really liked. But um, yeah, Michelle was on that. She was very open about her struggles with addiction, with abuse. So Michelle had some popular R&B songs. She has a child by not only Dr. Dre, but Suge Knight. Which I didn't know. You did, I was so surprised you didn't know that. Because I, I feel like when we were when I was watching R&B Divas and we saw Michelle perform live, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that I know. I, I think it just didn't click on me about straddling those that divide. Anyway, if you, if you will. So the Lifetime movie Surviving Compton is her telling her story, really focusing on, you know, from like the mid 80s when she sort of met that crew until like the mid 90s when everything sort of came crashing down. Mm-hmm. And... Um, how abusive Dr. Dre was and how violent Suge Knight was. Suge Knight is presented as uh, sort of a teddy bear compared to Dr. Dre, though. (laughs) 
who played by the same actor as in um, Straight Outta Compton, actually, for Suge Knight. But, okay, so overall, what did you think of this Lifetime movie? I thought it was... Okay, so for a Lifetime film, it's of a better quality than, say, Fantasia's or the Wendy Williams one. I did find it really hard to watch. So I told you, I thought it was... And I've told people... We mentioned it in the Wendy Williams review on YouTube that I said that I think... So something that this film does that I thought was really interesting, and I think also was interesting in Fantasia's biopic, Life is Not a Fairy Tale, is Fantasia plays herself in that one. Yeah. So there is a lot of emotion that feel... There are scenes that feel... that. that it's a compassionate watch because the person is playing... So in this film, Surviving Compton, Misha Lay is actually in it, sort of in like these fantasy sequence not fantasy but she's she's narrating she's narrating as herself in her own words in her own words looking beautiful yes i think the best alongside the actor playing her younger self uh, ryan nicole brown from empire and i thought it did two things number one so michelle has a very very high voice that she says the results of like some obviously something with her vocal cords but i'm not sure if it's like a congenital thing or i've also heard her say that when she was young, she was afraid to speak. And then that sort of... They got rusty? Something, I don't know. She explains it in a way that sounds like maybe it's psychosomatic and then it's just become her thing. But whatever the case is, Michelle does talk that way. Yeah, she does. Whether it's because she, she can't help it or she chooses to, it's how she talks. But if you didn't know who Michelle was and you watched the movie without her in it, you would think this actor is like crazy. Like, why is she talking like that? But then having the actual person in the film talking to you, mm-hmm. it makes it real. And then it also is like, she's making some very big claims. Like, yeah. it's, the, the film is hard to watch because it, there's a lot of abuse and it's not... Well, we all know Suge Knight is a creep, but God, Dre comes across... As a monster. Like, like I don't even know if I can... Like, after watching this, and again... I don't know. After I watched this film in 2016... My feelings for him now are kind of like, oh, I I didn't know. I didn't... Well, there have always been rumors of that. And they're not just rumors. So Dr. Dre has... So Michelle never filed uh, charges or made a police report against him. But several other women have. And he has been charged and arrested and gone to court and pled no contest. So he is a convicted, like how would you like a a woman abuser like yeah he's a womanizer yeah well beyond that i mean yeah. he has physically abused women and has admitted to it and then wait he, and has nine kids has nine children and which whatever that's that has, you having know, children has nothing to do with being I, again, uh, it, an abuser it's that weird thing where you know like like woody allen or any like uh, not discounting artistic contribution but realizing like oh you're a dog of a person but you know watching stories like this they're very one-sided because it's only her pov but he is he has admitted to abusing women and he has a he hasn't he made a statement after the release of this film basically saying like i apologize to all the women i've hurt mm-hmm. so and then i was reading that there are people like there's some man who wrote a a book about um Sort of like West Coast rap and gangster rap, which of course involves like Tupac, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. And this person, the author, said that he did extensive interviews with a lot of people 
including a lot of the women who dated them, Michelle A. And he sort of validates this movie, saying that the stories that he heard from many people prior to the making of this substantiate everything that is in this movie. So I like that it made Easy E seem like the kind. And then Easy E comes across (laughs) as like the most compassionate of the group. Because that's who I listened to as a kid. Um, But yeah, I thought that for a lifetime movie, this felt really gritty. I think the way the story is told is very interesting. It's interesting because it's kind of like um, a version. It's it's like a, a a black version of Pygmalion or My Fair Lady. It's like they took this woman off the streets per se and created something but she had no agency. You know what I wish? I, you know, the unfortunate part is there are so many people, particularly women, in entertainment, let's say, who have, who could have been such a bright star and had longevity and then so many of their stories get cut short because they get pregnant or maybe their success was attached to a man who they were in a romantic relationship with mm-hmm. and then because that relationship was toxic and the woman finally took a stand and said, I can't deal with this, it's like, well, I think it's very powerful that for many people, and it's not just women, but anyone who their success is attached to someone who's manipulating them in a romantic, sexual way, it sometimes is really hard to leave that mm-hmm. because it's like, well... You're leaving behind something good as well. Yeah. You're, you're, you're leaving behind more than just your heart, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, so, like there are countless... You know, we're talking about women in entertainment. There are countless women whose careers got cut short because... They entered these toxic relationships with these abusive men who once the women said, I can't take this anymore, the men basically squashed their careers. Michelle has an otherworldly voice. Mm-hmm. When you consider what... I mean, it's on the level of Fantasia, mm-hmm. who sounds kind of crazy when she talks, and then she sings, and it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> I mean, Fantasia singing is like an experience. You've seen mm-hmm. Fantasia oh, yeah. perform more like than three once. three times. And it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, her on stage and... The way her voice fills a room is just like... Well, it's crazy watching, uh, like, Michelle a would just sing for herself, right? Well, and you've seen Michelle a perform. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like the way her voice fills up the, the space is... But even how they show in the film when she performs for them, and she's like, was that any good? It's like, oh my God, this poor woman, nobody nobody out there was telling her And then because these what men she was were controlling her... Her career fell apart. So she did have a second album that came out in the late 90s. Of course, nothing tracked. And then, you know, to be an aging female artist is just like, you know, impossible. So she had another blip of success with R&B Divas Mm -hmm. back in 2013. And then she toured for a while, which is how we saw her. But, you know, hopefully... You know, she wasn't married to either men. Who knows what her money situation is like? I hope she's comfortable. Yeah. Um, she talks very candidly in R&B Divas about a lot of her struggles. and. You know, I think a part of the reason why this works better as a lifetime biopic than, you know, say, Wendy Williams is that she, she is being vulnerable. Oh, yeah. In a way that Wendy is not capable of. Well, when, uh, I mean, Wendy's story is... It, it's so and un- also is not as interesting. Well, it's so know, unfortunate because Wendy, Mil- Wendy Williams has often been referred to as like the Howard Stern of media. Sure. But, but that doesn't make sense because she's also a media mogul mm-hmm. who's made a lot of money and has had a lot of success. So as a black woman... And can do some things better than Howard, actually. Yeah, so as a black woman in entertainment to have had this much success, it's unfortunate that Wendy Williams has had this recent decline. Yeah. But at the time of her biopic, 
it was just a shame that she didn't sort of, if she didn't want to be vulnerable in that way, that's fine. Then I think she really should have focused on the success in a more serious way. Yeah. And if not, I almost wish like she would have just done a documentary mm-hmm. where she highlights all of the, like just all of her success because and how against, against the odds, this black woman. Yeah found mainstream appeal that's really what's most impressive about her we don't need to know i don't need this about her heartbreak and her cocaine problems this cheesy reenactment that's not even being realistic because with michelle i do think that her trauma is important because it highlights an industry and the misogyny within the industry and how like i i think her story specifically is very important well, just watching, you know, she was abused in public all the time. and No one spoke up. and Or if they did, they were shot down too because she was attached to Moneymaker. Like the... Right. So, it, that, and, that's what's upsetting. And then it's like, you know, Dr. Dre is performing at the Super Bowl and everyone loves him. And it's like, I don't know. It just... Whatever. I don't know these people's business. I've done terrible things to you or whatever. I mean, I've never hit you, but you know what I mean? Uh, Like a person could look at moments in my life and think I'm a monster. He needs to be spoken to in ways that it's like William Hurt dying is what I was thinking last night when we were watching this is like, yeah, he was a a great actor, uh, but also he abused women in his life and we need to hear them too. I don't know. I, well, I don't know. Do we? Because it's yes, like, like we, because it you can't uplift people as like having this this pristine legacy. It's like well, they did dirt too, and that doesn't it, well, it shouldn't but, take away. But it's like the you well, know. But it's interesting because it's like, does your personal life have to influence your professional life? Like, what do those two things have in common if they don't? Did you atone? Did he atone? But I don't know that. Like, you know, if my dentist turns out to have killed someone drunk driving and is a repeat offender, what does that have to do with like? My, my my pearly whites. I don't know. I think in Michelet's case, it is very important to highlight the abuse because it's helpful. It's mm-hmm. helpful. Like her story is helpful to other people in that situation and highlighting the misogyny and highlighting how little control she had as a recording artist. I think that's powerful, but do we need to like point fingers? In her case, yes, because she has very famous abusers and her life revolved around these people. But I think like, oh talking about William Hurt, and then it's like, do we need, like, now, after he's dead, people coming out and saying, remember? Well, it wasn't just, like, Marley Matlin came out before he died. No, sure, sure. It's her story to tell. I'm not saying she can't tell it. I just think that sometimes it feels, like, a little exploitative. Like, you know, we... the, the, The reason we are lauding a person sometimes has nothing to do with their personal character. I think when, I, I agree. I yes. think that when what we applaud them for and what and the mistakes they made sort of intersect, then that gets murky. Uh-huh. Right? People who are, you know, if their moral compass sort of plays into what we are, you know, what they're notable for, then yes. If your preacher cheated on his wife with, you know, in a same-sex affair, that could be something that might be appropriate to bring up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, okay, so this person's a womanizer. Okay, but they also made really great movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, those two things are really... Oh, like, yeah, like or Ingmar Bergman is like, he was not a good man. But then, <laughs> and you know, the other thing too is like, cheating on, you know, cheating on your significant other is not illegal. No, but beating them is. But beating them is. Beating them is. And so then it's like, okay, you're, 
you know, convicted for violence or you're a violent person. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying and, to And, you know, like, that. and also, think, you know, talking about t- wrapping or tying this into Viola Davis speaking about forgiving her father, who is a very violent man, uh, and realizing that they've been victimized too. You know, Dr. Dre is the black man that grew up at a certain time where he was also victimized by the society he lived in. Right. So it's not to discount that he has his burden as well. But, you know. I just think in situations like this, I always try to think how would I feel? Like, I'm not famous. And I've done things that I'm not proud of. And I think if people judged me the way we judge notable people, like, it wouldn't be tolerated, right? In fact, you would like, if your employer found out that you cheated on me and they said that they're not comfortable and because of that they feel like you shouldn't get a raise and you you could sue them mm-hmm. and you would win. Mm-hmm. You would get a settlement because mm-hmm. that's not considered appropriate. But somehow in the celebrity world or in politics, we feel like we can apply that standard to them. No, no more roles for Johnny Depp. Right. <laughs> or yes. Amber Heard shitting on people's beds so now, she, now I'm not going to watch her movie. It's like what those two adults did in this old toxic ass relationship where they probably both were using each other, let's mm-hmm. be real. That's none of my damn business. True. Like it's none of my business. Well, I'm I, a, and I don't want it's almost like, God, do, why do I have to be confronted with this? Because I'm never gonna forget about the poop in the bed, probably. Now it's like, okay, if I find out like, you know, Mel Gibson is an anti Semite, then it's like, well, I can make a choice to not or Mel Gibson likes to use the N word, then it's like, well, I don't want to support him because mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. So it's a personal choice, like I don't agree with that language and those sentiments. So you're not going to get my little $12 at the theater. Mm-hmm. Well, like, that's like a person. 22 now. But sure. Yeah. But that, that's the choice for me. But I think, you know, it also doesn't, I don't think that that means that he shouldn't be allowed to work. I think that the consumers should be allowed. Just like if we found out, McDon- you know, or like how I don't want to support Chick-fil-A. That's my choice. Mm-hmm. But many people do. And it's a thriving fucking Clearly, business. Clearly, yeah. So... That's kind of how I feel about it. But I also think that you can't rob people of telling their own story. And I think Misha Lay's story is an example of someone who, to me, it feels like she has every right to point out these two very powerful men in hip hop, like arguably like, the most prolific. Yeah. Like men in hip hop she has children by who are super abusive and manipulative. That's almost her. like a fairy tale, really. You yeah. know, you know. <laughs> I I think in her instance, because she was also a part of that world and she was notable. I mean, she was very popular for a a short period of time and probably could have been a huge star. She could have been at the level of a Janet Jackson. Yeah. Because she could dance. Mm -hmm. She was beautiful and she can sing her ass off. And she was already affiliated with a very major group. So she was robbed of that. Yeah. By these people. So I think her story is very... um, integral and appropriate to tell right i'd imagine i i was watching it thinking that i it probably was relevant was the word her story is relevant to these men right um and how we see these men right that's why it's kind of like straight out of compton doesn't tell the whole story uh but uh cathartic for her there's a scene where um she's watching the actress playing her in the bathtub kind of where she's yes. medicated out of her mind. And it's like that shot kind of was profound. I think of her gazing upon this particular moment in her life and <sighs> surviving it. 
like surviving content, you know, surviving that mentality and that, that, yeah, that a lot victimhood. Of it, yeah, a lot of it was hard to watch. And I think, you know, just being very familiar with her as an entertainer, it, you know, I feel so bad for her just because she was robbed of a career that she would have probably made a lot from, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And it's just so shitty that these men who wanted, and you know, again, it's one sided story. So I'm talking more like in general, like so many people, their, their lights are dimmed because they let, you know, they fall in love with people and they get attached to people who manipulate them and take advantage of them and are violent with them. And well, and we live in a society of, filled with hierarchies where we don't listen to you if you are a woman, if you are black, uh, if you're queer, if you're trans, like, yeah, you know, where you fall in that hierarchy dictates. That's what it made me feel. That's why I feel like the story is so important to tell, because I think it speaks to a lot of people who are in a similar situation and you may not even know it just because your boyfriend is not worth $600 million dollars. That's irrelevant. If your boyfriend works at Costco and pays the rent and he has you laid up there and he's sort of controlling you so that you can't have a career, he doesn't want you to go back to school to be a nurse and, you know, so then he just keeps you at home and... And then you got kids. And then you have kids and and then you feel trapped and then he's abusive to you because he knows that you can't go anywhere and he's threatening you that if you leave him, he's not going to pay you anything and, you know, like, that's almost worse. Mm Mm-hmm. That's almost, I mean, it, it, it's not a competition, but I think it's like sometimes people think that we all are important. We all deserve to be happy. No one deserves to be controlled. Like we're not, humans shouldn't have control over other humans. So watching this, I'd like, that was, that's what was hard to watch is mm-hmm. a person who seemed sweet and who was a very naive mm-hmm. was taken advantage of and then one thing we didn't mention is she she does spend time talking about how her mother raised her to basically basically believe that if a man hits you it's for a reason and you need to make it right and you need to make it right you need to figure out what you did mm-hmm. so that he won't hit you again mm-hmm. and it's like yeah of course that sounds crazy but i think when you grew up hearing things that's how you're conditioned yeah and then I've never been in a physically abusive relationship, but I think I can see how very easily, because things just happen. Because mm-hmm. things have happened to me where it just was like, oh my God, this devastating thing just happened that really hurt me. And it just happens like like in a flash. Mm-hmm. And then I have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if I told you, you know, person X over here about what just happened to me, you would say like, well, you need to leave him. You need to do this. And it's like, well, it's not that easy. Like there are a lot of things happening or, you know, we don't always tell people the full story. Mm -hmm. Right. So then people have, you know, I'm sure we've all done this where you tell your friends little tidbits of something that your spouse did to you that, or your significant other that upset you. And then they only hear the bad bits. So they have this impression, but we really don't share the full story with people. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's hard when you're in a relationship or a situation and people don't really know the full story and then feelings are complicated. So having the strength and the courage to make a decision for oneself is easier said than done. And 
yeah. lot of people don't talk honestly. Well, and she says that too. Like, you're probably wondering why I didn't leave or why. Yeah, of course, you always wondered that, but there are reasons. There are reasons. Yeah, she says that because she says being with Dre was like great sex. Um, oh, yeah, I wrote that down. Great, uh, yeah, well, she, she, she compares Dre and Suge. Like, yeah. people will ask, why did you go with one of the. And then she compares them. Like, one had great sex. She says Suge Knight had limited, limited sex, sex. But he was nicer and more stable but then dre was like fun and they had great sex and so then she says what you just mentioned like why did i stay and she's like well because you know i had a nice life and i didn't know how to do better and i have this these kids and so i think yeah like hearing people talk very honestly about stuff is very helpful Mm -hmm. sometimes yeah i agree so now some of y'all do overshare and there's a time and a place like if you just met me once, don't get me in a corner at the bar and tell me about all your fucking trials and tribulations. Like, it's too much. It's just too much. Because there's even a scene in this movie where it appears she's met Tupac for the first time. Yes. And then he, she's hyping him up and Suge embarrasses her in front of Tupac. And then she her feelings are hurt. And then she's in the back, like, break room. And Tupac comes in. And he's being sweet to her. And she immediately... Like uh, unloads, unloads everything. I'm not living my dreams, right? <laughs> and I thought that was funny because it's like, yeah, some t- you have to sort of pick and choose who and when and how much to tell. But I do think people living in their truth and at the bare minimum understand that what we can't expect people to sort of react to us in a helpful and authentic way if we are not being authentic with them. Mm -hmm. Which is probably why many of us struggle with relationships, Mm -hmm. whether they be platonic, romantic, or professional, because we're not being authentic. Mm -hmm. We're not being authentic. Well, I think it's all... So all all you fake bitches out here who have these like... You're just constantly dating and nothing works. It's all all fear-based because you're afraid of the reaction you'll receive and and that I think that fear keeps a lot of us and our authenticity at bay. Yeah, and a lot of you people who have friends who you don't you only show them the shiny parts. Like mm-hmm. you only show them, you know, you go to brunch and you go to there and you go to on weekend trips to Palm Springs and you're all fucking you know, and then they don't see the crunchy bits about oh. how you obsess about your body and you're insecure about your whatever. And Going back to the Viola thing and talking about it, she says she wants to live for her peace and her happiness, but understanding that that is a journey and not, you know, the destination, destination and that there you have to, you kind of existing somewhere in the middle because those things happen, but there's a lot of dirt <laughs> you got to get through on the way to those moments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a very honest and, you know, real thing to say, which I think makes sense. Like, if you're having, if, 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 if you're sitting there and being rational and you think about happiness as being a journey and that we have ups and downs and that we should approach everything with that mentality, we could all probably, you know, for the most part, think like, yeah, that makes sense. But in the moment when you're in the low, Oh yeah, it's 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 really hard to crawl out of it, and then yeah. when you're at the high, it's really easy to take advantage of that mm-hmm. or take it for granted, yeah. I should say. So anyway, anyway, we talked a lot. Surviving Compton, Dre, Suge, and Michelle. It's on Netflix streaming. Direct, Check it out. Very fom centric, direct, directed by centric, uh, centric, directed by Janice Cook, and written by Diane Houston, uh, also a director in her own right. Uh, so what's going on this week? We're going to see um, Margaret Cho this week. 
for the Netflix is a joke. We're going to see the new Doctor Strange. Uh, Mateo Lane. Oh, we're going to see the gay comedian Mateo Lane for some reason. No. Well, you chose that. I find him interesting, but not for the reason other uh, the reason other people do, which are all his like. If we if we were his naked fr- photos. If we were his friend, we'd have to talk about hair issues. I think. Oh, speaking of hair, yeah, he has a he has an interesting hair situation <sighs> uh, that I think holds him back. Uh, psychologically but we uh, yeah the, the Doctor Strange is the big release this week um, I hope to convince you to watch Happening uh, which Audrey Duan won the Golden Lion for it's an abortion drama uh, oh, that, that comes out in the coming week and uh, then Can is right around the corner of course mm-hmm. and that's uh, oh Cinco de Mayo Cinco de Mayo what are we gonna do eat tacos hopefully I don't know <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because it's like, well, Mexican is always my default. <laughs> so when Cinco de Mayo comes, I'm always like, I don't want to go eat Mexican. Because I'm loyal year-round. This is true. As being, like, as, like, as being a Mexican. Like National Coming Out Day. It's like, well... I'm gay every day. I want to come out in December. I don't want to yeah. come out today. Uh, uh, do you have a quote for us? No, I, unless you want me to read a poem. You feel like reading a poem? Oh, I was... I, I was um, been thinking a lot about a dream within a dream because it came by up. who wrote that? Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, because it came up in Vortex. Okay, well, we'll end with your little poem. Oh, you want me to read it? Well, it seems like you have your heart. You have it pulled up on your little laptop. Well, because I never know what I'm going to be. Uh... You never know when someone's <laughs> going to ask you to read a poem. Oh my god! Only once has someone asked you to read a poem, <laughs> and that was at your good friend's wedding. And I did. And you did do it, lovely. <laughs> Are you familiar with this poem? I'm familiar with Edgar Allan Poe. If you read it, I might remember it. Okay. Take this kiss upon the brow, and in parting from you now, thus much let me avow, you are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope has flown away, in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or dream is but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep, while I weep, while I weep! O God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? O God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? What does that mean to you? That life is over before you know it, and it's like you dreamed it. When he talks about the grains of sand, like, can he not save, but can he not hold on to one? It's sand running through your hand. Mm, that was a quality moment. To be washed away of a surf-tormented shore. All done? <sighs> Clearly. Well, do you have something else to say? No. Oh, then why are you mad? I'm not mad. You stay mad. <laughs> you stay mad. I stay mad, so I don't... <laughs> you, Nick stays mad, so he doesn't have to get mad. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.